0: On this episode, Anna and Joe talk to Dave Miglin, the Vice President of Interactive Services at SA. They talk about trends and tactics in political advertising, the Iowa caucus process, and record-setting statistics for the 2020 presidential election. It's ASAP, a Strategic America podcast, and this is the theme song. And we don't have much time, just need an ASAP. Okay, thanks, Bye.
1: All right, well, welcome back to another episode of ASAP, guys. We got a very timely and exciting episode ahead, I believe. Um, I'm sitting here with Anna, who you've heard before in a couple of our episodes, here, um, and we are very excited to introduce Dave Meglin as well. Dave works um, and oversees kind of our interactive services team here at SA, and and uh, is pretty active in the local political scene as well. So we got some pretty interesting topics coming up as we look at 2020 and um, what Anna. And and I were talking about before the show even, is just kind of seeing the ramp up of advertising and and different things, uh, material showing up in my feeds all over the place from different campaigns and folks. Um, You can definitely tell that the season is kind of upon us.
0: That's very true. I was gonna make a joke that was like <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh twenty twenty season is happening, but we've obviously <laughs> noticed. Been I,
1: happening since twenty eighteen. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, it's well and it's interesting here too, and we'll we can chat about this a little bit, but um this will be my first uh Presidential cycle in Iowa since mm-hmm. I've been here. So I've been here about two years. Um, and I was telling Anna, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with the caucus and just the different things and, and kind of how the cycle looks here because it's a different stage of the process. But um, yeah, it's been interesting to see. I didn't expect some of this stuff that I'm seeing so much in like YouTube feeds. I was joking with Anna, and you said you were getting like car ads and politics. Mm-hmm. I'm getting, um, like, laser cutters, which is crazy, but that and politics. I I obviously made a weird Google search one time, and I'm getting retargeted for laser cutters now.
2: (laughs) And the funny thing is, we're not even a formal election. It's a caucus, so all you're doing is picking people that will get delegates to take to convention that will then pick, right? So it's—people really misunderstand what a caucus really is compared to a primary, so—
1: yeah, I appreciate that because you're probably going to be educating me a little bit about mm. that. Happy <laughs> yeah. yeah. too. Can we start with that? You should, do, that? It. You should yeah. do it. Yeah. Of course. T- Just talking yeah, about the caucus, tell I think us that's The fair.
0: difference between caucus and a primary. Sure. Yeah.
2: Well, a primary is an actual vote, right? You're going out mm. and voting, mm-hmm. and based on which state you're in, you can either get a proportional vote and, and they'll select delegates that match that proportion of your candidates' winnings, right? Or you could have a caucus system, which is essentially – a, a preference. We have a preference. So in Iowa, they, they talk about three tickets out of Iowa. So it's usually top three finishers are the ones that get all the money, right? So the big play here is the money to carry you into the primary states like Super Tuesday and things. So with a caucus system, you're, you're essentially picking people that will go to the state to a county level convention, then to a state-level convention, and actually then pick delegates who will then vote for the candidate, It's kind of an interesting scenario. And yet, it's still a very democratic system, because you're going to get an opportunity to literally stand up and say, I support this person. But Mm -hmm. if they're not viable, if they don't get 15% viability at your caucus, you could leave and go over to whoever else was your B choice Mm -hmm. or C choice. Um, so it's an interesting structure. I think you're going to yeah. love this. It's I, I find it, for a political junkie like me, yeah. it's a blast. I love it.
1: Yeah, we were talking a little bit about the process before you came back. And, um, yeah, it'll was it it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued. That's very, very different from a primary, which I was very used to in the state of Indiana. But, you know, mm-hmm. I think that being engaged in that process would be kind of cool, too, to actually experience that with other, you know, citizens in the state and the area. Um, it's interesting, too, on a national scale, I think Iowa gets a lot of attention because of just the, the timing of the caucus and where it falls. And I think Anna's got some stuff that we'll talk about with that um, moving forward to just, like, where how that affects how these candidates kind of market to constituents and to, to possible voters.
0: I think that makes sense for where we are. So if we think about the election in terms of a consumer journey, um, where do you think generally as a nation people would fall right now?
2: Oh, they're high in the funnel right now. I think they're leaning as, as we've seen more presidential debates. Um, you know, Trump's going to be unopposed, basically. I mean, he's got people running against him, but the parties aren't behind him. So uh, he's going to basically walk into general election unscathed. But you're going to have, right now, a lot of people in in uh, in the early states, right? Early primary states, Iowa being the first, New Hampshire, Nevada, California, Texas, South Carolina. Um, in those states, people are much more in tuned than in some of these other further down ball or further into the season states, simply because they don't need to make a choice yet. Some of the choices that they might have in mind might not even be viable by, you know, March 2020. Okay, so we're really early for most of the states. For those states that are going to be voting in Q1, for example, Iowa being one, um, they are... In tune, I'd say they are further—they're in the consideration stage, deep into the consideration stage. I, I think most most of the people I talk to have at least three top-tier candidates, meaning, you know, I, I really like this one person, A, but if they don't make it, I'd support B or C. But I'd say most of the public is in the awareness stage. They're learning these candidates. Iowa's into the consideration stage.
0: Yeah. So with that, do you th- I mean, in terms of messaging, do you know or think if candidates are changing a message for Iowa to be more of a like a policy focus or you know, information that they would collect later in a consumer, again, we're saying consumer, but more of a voter journey um, in terms of advertising. Do you think it's different? in early states versus later yeah. states?
2: Uh certainly I think uh it depends on the market, of course. You know, you're gonna be putting out certain policy issues. Right now, climate's very big. Um healthcare is very good, uh very big. Jobs are still very big, fragile economy. Everybody's a little worried about what's gonna happen in twenty twenty. Um but I think uh it it does depend on the market. Um, I'm sure we're hearing just dis- different messaging up here. We're hearing about tariffs. We're hearing about ag issues. South Carolina's probably hearing about jobs. They're hearing a little bit more about, you know, other topics more relevant to the region. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's natural. And I think with social media, we have the ability to target like that. So, I think you're going to see more and more. And I would even say, in in the state of Iowa, you know, what you hear in Des Moines is not what you're going to hear in Page County and Montgomery County, which is rural rural America. Loss of small towns, economies are are suffering. Education, consolidated schools, things like that. So if you're a either a federal level candidate, like a presidential candidate, or if you're running for, um, and that could include Congress or if you're running for state right uh, a state office you're certainly going to be talking about issues differently in certain regions of the state no question
1: that's you touched on a little bit of something that i was kind of i've been tracking with and i think everybody's been tracking with a little bit probably is back as far as like 2008 um with the changes and kind of how social media has influenced how how candidates could market themselves and communicate to a base of of, um, constituents. And, and the interesting thing to me too, that I was looking up and I didn't pull the exact numbers, I think for that campaign, but there was a lot of, um, changes in crowdfunding and how you can raise campaign contributions in the Mm -hmm. last I mean, really in the age of the internet, but you know, 2008 forward, um, you saw Bernie Sanders do a lot of that campaign fundraising that way. And, um, I'm curious to get your take Dave on, on kind of how things have evolved as social media has grown, um, as a marketing tool, even as like just a communications platform. Well, if you think about,
2: 2016 okay so go to 2016 trump if you'll recall he he came into office claiming to be this uber billionaire right i don't need any money i i'm gonna fund myself but guess what happened he had this enormous wave of of money coming in from people who were just giving small dollars because Mm -hmm. they resonated with his message and he basically started using it. So even though he was saying, I don't want your money, I don't need your money, so he said, you know, of course we know that's not true. Every politician, doesn't matter who it is, wants the dollars, sure. contrary to what sure. they might say. But let's go to modern age. On the Democrat side, you got Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer. Um, he started with a pact that was geared towards impeaching Trump. And he simp- that was his only message. We've got to do it. We've got to save our democracy. We've got to take this action, right? That was what he started, Mm -hmm. impeach.org. And now he's a candidate, right? And he's using those funds that were from the PAC to generate and and use that as basically a a, um, launching board for him Mm -hmm. to start a campaign and try and be a viable candidate. Mm -hmm. So I think it's— crowdsourcing is very important you know at the end of the day you're you're going to see with the caucus system and, and the debate stage here's the mm-hmm. most recent example is candidates are not making the debate stage simply because they either didn't have enough um, uh, poll numbers right mm-hmm. their poll numbers weren't high enough in three polls and they had to have x number of unique contributors and it could be down to a dollar Just give a dollar. They just need to count you as a unique, and so they might be spending $25 to market Mm -hmm. to you for that $1 to designate themselves as a viable candidate. So that's all about crowdsourcing. That's the whole point. Um, But, you know, not many people are going to be on a Bernie level. Sure. It's just not going to be there. Everybody thought Beto was going to be there, and he's turning out to not be, right? Um, So I think— you know you've you've certainly got uh, a lot of people influencing these uh, choices that we're going to see in the next couple of months, but i I definitely feel like uh, at the end of the day we're we're talking about a hundred hundred two hundred possibly a billion dollar election you mm-hmm. know that's entirely possible yeah
0: yeah, I have a friend who is um very tuned into politics, and she has taught me a lot about the elections. Uh, and her thing right now is, I'm going to give to anybody I want to see on the donate or on the debate stage. Yeah, yeah. so That's
2: which right. is smart, yeah. and they have to, they have yeah. to, even if it's five dollars, just mm-hmm. give five bucks if you feel like that candidate deserves to be heard. Give to them because if you don't, they will not be there.
1: Well, and the interesting thing, um, you know, as you talk about kind of how that's evolved and how we've seen some of these candidates take hold of it and really utilize it to to keep moving their platforms forward, um, the the technology of the day has kind of streamlined so much of that. You know, I would, you know, a lot of this has been in place since I've been of, of age to vote, but I would assume that before I was in that place, that there were it was going to be more difficult, or at least there's going to be more friction and more barriers to provide a donation, or show some form of support, um, whereas you open up those gates of social media or just the internet in general, having technology solutions to where you can come in and donate across a platform through a variety of ways, um, whether it's crowdsourcing, going to their organization and using your phone to donate that way. It just seems like you've taken out a lot of the friction um, as has evolved, which is, to me, kind of an exciting thing. Um, regardless of where you lean politically, I think being able to take out friction to allow people to voice their opinion with their dollars sometimes I think is a good thing. So mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to see that evolve. But.
2: Yeah. Well, I would agree with that too. And I, I think a lot of people tend to give, they have a, a figure in mind of how much can I give, yeah, right? Sure. And they, they sometimes get, you know, attracted to a candidate so early and they don't realize they're going to hear from other candidates. Mm-hmm. that are just as appealing. And so you, you better kind of budget yourself right sure and don't spend it all in one area or you're not going to have anything to give and what about those state offices right now we're so focused on presidential candidates but I got news for you I read a great article um, uh, in the Nation magazine recently that talked about how we have got to re people who want to have influence you've got to win at the state level it's the state houses that provision the the Voting requirements. They they uh, they can turn election ballots on and off in the not not meaning discounting voting, but like right. they set the hours when you vote. They set the the places where the actual voting will occur. Um, they they can put in uh, blocking mechanisms, if you would, uh, that would prevent somebody from voting. So restricting, like for example, why isn't if the election so important? Why isn't it declared a holiday, right? Mm-hmm. And allow people to not have to worry about working. Or do it on a Saturday, right, and and allow people to do that. So, And I, and I say this, it goes both ways. I'm trying sure. to be completely unbiased. But yeah. this is happening across our country, and it mm-hmm. happens at the state level. A lot of people don't realize the influence of winning at the state level. Mm-hmm. I happen to recognize it, and I'm going to do all I can to help, but um, influence it. But that's just it. You, sure. You've got to get out there. And I, I've talked to some of our state um, uh, representatives And it's funny how many people do not call and phone in, at least express their opinion to their representatives at the state capitol. They're right down the road. Pick up the phone. If you care about public education, get on the phone and tell your representatives that you care about it because you know who's screaming about it? The special interests that want a certain policy direction to take hold, right? Right. So they're commandeering all these people. They're marshalling them through social media, through uh, outbound calling. They're calling people, reminding them to get to the polls or go call this person. Right. And and they're responding. The, the more extreme parties or interested people, and it doesn't matter what the issue is, there's always a group out there yeah. that has a special interest towards it. Um, they're they're activating them to get them to make that one phone call. If mm-hmm. that's the only call they make all year, at least they're calling on that issue and they win that one. Then they go on to the next group. Right. They find that next pool of people that are interested, and they're messaging through them through their social networks, of course. And um, and again, you, you'll you'll have random robocalls. You'll have. Um, I get calls all the time. I get text messaging mm-hmm. the
1: whole nine yards. I've got so. a lot of text already this year too. And Absolutely. some of the Lots of campaign calls. stuff. I was surprised actually. I, I I was telling Anna as well. I'd um, so I, the party I'd registered with in Indiana before I moved, I didn't, I never received any text messages. Right, and then we moved mm-hmm. out to Iowa, um, and I didn't register with a specific party when we moved to Iowa. But um, I was getting contacted, and they, I mean everybody retains that information. It's useful, mm-hmm. and that's we're going to talk a little bit later, I think, um, perhaps after we get to a break about mm-hmm. some some tactical things maybe um, for both, you know, looking at federal government and the state level stuff. But I think um, you know there's a very real piece to marketing to those folks that are in your area with those specific issues. And, and I'm curious to get your take on those tactics. I don't know, Anna, do you have anything before the break or should we?
0: Uh, no, I think we can break. All right.
1: Well, Dave, um, we'll take a take a quick break here and then we'll circle back and maybe start talking tactics and, and maybe look uh, even into someone, if they were a new candidate, what would they do? How do they get their their name out there and their stance out there on things? So we'll we'll see you guys back in just a second.
0: Love what you've heard so far on ASAP? Follow us on social media by searching Strategic America. You can also sign up for our newsletter and check out new blogs at strategicamerica.com. Now back to the show.
1: All right, guys. Well, we're back from the break. You're listening to ASAP. I'm hanging out with Anna van Wardhuizen, who, by the way, I'm very happy, side note, that I actually pronounced her name correctly the first time when I met Anna. But I'm hanging out with Anna and Dave. We're talking about um, political advertising, um, some of the challenges that we see out there and opportunities and, and kind of the excitement and all the madness that's coming down the road for 2020. But mm-hmm. um, we started talking about social media and, and uh, crowdfunding and some of the the changes that have come along in the the previous election cycles, at least the previous presidential election cycles. But I wanted to get tactical for a little bit. Um, Dave, if we could talk about, you know, say there's somebody... um, even at the, the local level of government. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking a little bit during the break that there's a local election coming up here, and um, we're in the Des Moines metro area here, and there's several, I guess, coming mm-hmm. up. Um, and if somebody was a was a new candidate that's coming on the scene, and they are kind of dealing with that awareness issue where you're at the top of the funnel, you're trying to get people to understand who you are, and then you can move them on through to your messaging and eventually get them, when we talk in the consumer standpoint, to convert. Um what you know tactically with some of the the things we have available now f- as tools for marketing, um, what do you what would you look at as an option for somebody like that that's coming on the scene? Well, Iowa is a very um personal
2: state, meaning they want a personal connection with the candidate. So if a candidate does not show up at invited meetings, that's the very first thing, and it's more about getting out into the rural communities and invited to everything from, uh, you know, potlucks to ice cream socials, you name it, to just community group meetings and speaking for 10-15 minutes about who you are, what you're all about. So The personal touch is very important to Iowans. Um, I'd say the other thing, so showing up. Um, Second thing is leaving them something that they can take back and and chew on. Uh, You should always obviously have a great website. I think that's the number one thing that every candidate should have. They should be prepared to have a strong social media uh, presence and do all they can to invite people to join and follow them on Facebook or, or any other channel. Um, I've worked with a couple local candidates who um, they're already known, you know, because they're in the office that they're running for re-election. But uh, if I were helping candidates that are—and I have been helping candidates that are um, new to politics, mm-hmm. they're inspired, they want to get in, and they want to make a difference, but they don't have rank, uh, brand recognition or name recognition— um the number one thing is to get get those people out into the communities and have a brand that will start speaking to the issues and target that brand that that particular message to certain social groups, right? Mm. I would say that um you know Kim Reynolds did a great job of that in the past governor's race where you know you didn't if you, if your issue was not um healthcare mm-hmm. then she didn't send you a a healthcare message right if if it was focused on on the economy and you just want to talk about uh jobs in rural America that's what she focused her message on even down to understanding the gender of the receiver of that message mm-hmm. They would put certain keywords in that were more connected to a, a male audience or a female audience, whichever, um, family versus single, you know. And they would really just put pay attention to the detail, and they built campaigns that were very, very focused. And I think that's a brilliant move. And by the way, all it takes is a little bit of effort to do it because you don't have to spend any more to do the targeting like that through your <clears throat> social channels. So that's really important. Um I think uh, using all of your assets and making sure that you're putting out good quality, taking a good picture, you know, not just putting out any picture, taking a great picture, mm-hmm. making it interesting, showing uh, when I help the candidates, one of the things I like to do is is blend in um, a little bit of the personal side of you. You know, people want to know who you are. Mm-hmm. They don't want to, yeah, they want somebody who's competent and knows what the job entails and how to do it, but they want to like them too. If you think back on uh, uh, George W. Bush, um, not the father of the son, um, one of the things that they said, uh, I'll never forget it, was they didn't think he was smarter than Al Gore, but they would rather be in a bar and have a drink with him than al gore
1: I do you remember, remember something i remember, like I remember that? hearing that yeah he was the kind of which i don't know if that was the specific line but like he was the kind of guy you'd want to have a beer with or something yeah. i feel like and I'd people heard connect so people
2: the way that they're connecting now is mm-hmm. through social channels because mm-hmm. it's not all of them have the means or opportunity to meet the candidate face to face you're still going to have to leave flyers on the doors of people that did not answer. You're going to have to be prepared to use direct mail uh, to target certain homes, but use it very carefully, right? Not this massive amount of direct mail, because right next to people, you you could have Democrats in these houses, and right across the street, you have three Republicans mm-hmm. and, and vice versa, and oh, by the way, this guy down here is libertarian or independent, So you can't be too partisan on your issues. you got to be broad. Now, the scary thing is you've got a lot of people that don't really understand the responsibilities of the office, too, right? And so it's easy for people who are coming in to compete to drop in messages. Why hasn't the mayor done anything about fixing unemployment in the state of Iowa? Uh, Because he's the mayor of Des Moines. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you, you get these, like, weird things where people are like, yeah, Why haven't they done something about that? I'm not voting for that person. They don't even understand necessarily the the requirements of the office or the limitations of the office. So I think that's kind of interesting. Tactical things are really – we've got to think of all the things that connect with the one-to-one personalized customer which is the voter
1: which it's interesting that we draw so many parallels between you know voters and and consumers because essentially i mean they're all i mean we're dealing with the same people different issues different and and product sounds so distasteful in that sense but you're trying to get people to to buy an idea kind of to buy into um a set of ideas in a lot of cases so and invest in it yeah i mean you need them to show up at the polls yes
2: but you need them to also help you fund it because otherwise you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Simple as that. Well,
1: in a lot of these ways, the marketing, like when you're talking about the the mix that you're talking about, whether you know it's for local or even probably national in and, and a lot of cases, it's going to be a marketing mix. I mean, you're going to evaluate mm-hmm. who you're trying to reach. You're going to evaluate what channels make mm-hmm. sense for them. But, yeah, it's going to be mm-hmm. just like you would approach it with with brands sometimes. I think that's interesting. 100%. You know, we've talked about a few specific things and, and something that comes to mind for me just because we've talked about it in other realms in the the brand space before. Does Google factor into any of this stuff? I know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these social channels do, but I don't know that I would necessarily think of a search platform as that. I know YouTube, I see a lot of stuff served up through, but I'm curious to get your your insight on that. You're gonna have a website, right? And you're gonna want that website to be optimized.
2: But short of that, you're not gonna type in um employment or jobs and suddenly expect the candidate's message to be there unless they truly are like really pinpointing it and targeting but no i don't see google's it, traditional searches being that way but the google display network absolutely putting display advertising on key messages having uh, retargeting to other messages and especially if it's a you know you want to put a Facebook pixel on there so that you might be doing a search over here, but then you're on your Facebook page and suddenly you're seeing the right message. But again, I would argue it's all about the messaging, right? It's making sure you're putting out a message that people go, wow, I never thought of it like that. Or, boy, this this person's different. Because if if you're just in a class of equals, everybody's saying the same thing, you're not separating yourself unless you have some flashy name, right? You know, you've got candidates who have been out there for years, in Biden's case, 40 years, you know, Mm -hmm. developing that brand. I love working with the local candidates because you've got a smaller audience and you can just work on trying to convince that, you know, 45 Percent that's already gonna be in your corner because of just who you're affiliated with, but then you're gonna to have to win over to get to that 50% mark, that's a key thing. Uh-huh
1: there is such a direct impact I mean there's impact involved at any scale when you're talking about politics and the US for us but on that local level there is such a um, a visible impact you know there's a there's real tangible questions that I think you can have a clear line of sight to once you you interact with that candidate so I think from somebody that lives in Des Moines to be involved in the Des Moines election and get to know those mayoral candidates or whoever is up for election and the the topics they're interested in, I think being able to see it, you know, sometimes there's such a disconnect, I think, between, you know, us understanding what's happening in Washington, but not being able to see that trickle out over time, you see it, but it's Mm -hmm. different. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think at least in my perspective, it's different. So it's kind of cool to be able to see that I could see the the passion for that making sense for sure. Storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. When
2: you think about storytelling, that is one of the best marketing pieces you could ever put out because it creates a human connection that wow, I went through that, too. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, most recently Biden with the the loss of his son, you know, to cancer, Mm -hmm. right? They, you know, I think that's a very effective story because so many families connect with that same message. Mm -hmm. And so you believe it when he, he says into the camera, whether it's scripted or not, You believe he's speaking from the heart. when He says, I'm going to do all I can to make sure families don't have to suffer or go bankrupt because somebody in their family was directly impacted by this horrible disease. I mean, I felt that, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, I think that's a a message that resonates. I've heard other people talk about losing a family member to gun violence, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, you just kind of you empathize with them and you, you know how you felt when you saw these news reports about massive shootings and, and things like that. And you, you say to yourself, wow, this person feels very committed, just like I do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to connect with them. And, and it's important. I do think that we're going to see more of that storytelling.
1: Yeah. In, in any message. I mean, that's that's... I think, the key to, to unlocking somebody's well, long relating form, to your story. long-form video as mm-hmm. a result of it. So, you know, and as a marketer, right,
2: we always talk about, you know, people are willing to watch something longer than 30 seconds mm-hmm. if they're interested in the topic, mm-hmm. right? They won't even know two minutes went by, right? Mm-hmm. So when you watch these these long-form videos that are two minutes in length and they're all just campaign videos, right? You can't help but be brought into it because you connect with the story, and it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I care about this. So I think that these are going to be very, very popular in this coming cycle for sure is connecting.
1: As you bring that up, um, kind of a last take I have on this, and I think Anna's got some fun stuff for you here mm. at the end. Um, but on the topic of, of video and long form video, kind mm. of um, live video is an interesting thing too. Yeah. You know, one thing we saw in 2016 in some regards um, on, on both sides, but I know um, the current president, when he was campaigning there was a lot of like town halls hosted through Facebook Live and different platforms like that. And I thought that was really interesting even at the time to be. use that. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense to me, kind of for the same reason you're talking about. If it's If it's somebody that you, um, you're interested in their message or you have questions for them, or you want to engage on a, on that live level where you have the ability to comment in some cases, I don't know if they would all leave that on or not, but, um, a platform like a Facebook live or Instagram live or YouTube offers live services as well for streaming, Um, that's an interesting thing to me because you're not waiting on a network anymore to put you on, Mm -hmm. to get in that position, Mm -hmm. to speak your message. You can engage directly with an audience. Um, you can market around that as well. If you want to get people in, in the, the virtual room watching what you have to say. So I'm curious as to your take on that and what you think you'll see. I think it's great for the right candidate. Sure. It's, it's going to be
2: ineffective for somebody who really is prone to errors, maybe slip of the tongue. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because it's live, right? You got to be really on your feet. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Beto O'Rourke did that in Texas. He he literally, uh, you know, face, oops, sorry. That's right. Streamed everything he did, pumping gas, driving down the highway, all that stuff. Well, he's, he's, he's a character that can kind of pull that off. He's kind of like that casual guy. And I've met him, and he's just like that in person, right? But he, I don't think you could pull that off with other candidates. I sure. won't name candidates, but I will tell you that not everybody is as articulate. Mm-hmm. They want to have uh, a redo. They want to, you know, they they're they're over playing something. And and I, I will say, you know, there's one candidate, very popular candidate today. Who is extremely long-winded, and to have that happen would be like, oh my gosh, turn this off. So it could be a very—it cuts both ways, you know.
1: It's cool, you know. There's there's a lot of influencers outside of the political space that I've seen um, that have managed like live streaming content really, really effectively, and that's exactly what I think when I think about that too. It's like, wow, I could not do that i mean about a certain topic maybe but like they're they're all experts they're all extremely passionate about what they do they're all very good on camera they're good on their feet um and the cool thing that i think is available in those opportunities is you really can it's a lot harder to script it so i guess you get a a peek into someone's genuine nature Mm -hmm. and sometimes i mean that's maybe unfair to some because sometimes you you're camera shy or whatever you're You've been up for how many hours doing whatever, and you struggle on camera and live things. So I'm not trying to imply that if you can't do live, that you're not a genuine person. But I think it does give you a peek into a little bit more than what you see in sound bites or what you see in crafted pieces um, when you're trying to connect with constituents and tell that story. I think that's a well, that's a cool
2: thing. Having gone to seen a lot of the candidates, if not all of them. Sometimes more than once, the the other downside is repetition, right? You feel like, oh, gosh, I heard the same line before. Are they, are, when are they going to say something new? Well, because most of the room has only heard it this one time, right? They haven't done what I'm doing or other people, activists, do. So, I mean, yeah, you run the risk of how do I freshen up my speeches? How do I make it sound more powerful? How do I reflect the times, you know, because you turn on the news today and something happened. Well, how do you convey that Mm -hmm. in a speech you're giving five minutes from now, right, to kind of, like, show your relevance, right? I think it's a— it's a struggle for any candidate, especially if they are limited in funds and they're dependent sure. on a very small team. I know there's some candidates that come here with literally two people mm-hmm. and not much else. And so they're dependent. I had one candidate come up to me literally before I was about to start a meeting. He was in the—and it was in a restaurant. He came in from the restaurant and he said, hey, I'm I'm doing this. I'm running for this office. I won't, again, name names, sure. but I, I'm running for office here. And I was like, huh? really? i never heard of you. Who are you? And, and they told me, I looked them up on the phone, saw that, yep, they are declared, and yeah, yeah they are running for that office. I go, oh, okay, yeah, you can join us in. We, we don't mind these kind of like one-off surprise, you know, mm-hmm. kind of meeting. And they're fine, but nobody really you, you kind of lose a little credibility just by doing those kind of like I'm desperate. I'll speak to you at a restaurant kind of thing. And that's how desperate I am. And it's like, no, come on, be a little bit more polished. Not not polished like in, in, a, in an artificial way, but sure. don't feel like you're you're competent enough for the position, right? Right. And if you were organized and had a team, you would have known about this meeting. You would have been there. You would have already been on the agenda, right? These kind of surprise things are just weird. I had another candidate literally in a parade five minutes before the parade's about to begin Labor Day parade. Five minutes before it began, they came up to me and said, hey, I'm running for this office, and I'm this party member. Is it okay if I can march in the parade? I'm like, okay. And, again, I verified all their story. I said, okay, but you're at the very back. You're at the very back because— You know, something just seems weird about you.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a bit of an uphill battle, but I I will say from my perspective, I'd applaud the hustle, which it sounds like you do too. So I appreciate that. I applaud it. Yeah, 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 I mean, there's a certain amount of efficacy that's probably lost there to your point though. I totally understand that. Yeah. Well, awesome. I, I, um, I'm excited to see where it goes, and and I think there's big things ahead of us. I think you're right. I think we're probably going to see record spend numbers coming, and I think on that I'm going to turn it over to Anna for kind of a little game she has to finish as well.
0: So I was um, browsing PolitiFact yesterday, um, which is a great website if you all haven't checked it out. They take politicians from all parties and rate the things they say on a scale of uh, pants on fire to true. Mm -hmm. So I thought we should play a game in terms of political advertising. Um, So I'm going to give you a couple of statements, and we're not going to divide it up that much. You can just tell me false, somewhat true, or true. Okay. So my first um statement for you is the twenty twenty election cycle is expected to break ad spending records with more than six billion dollars invested.
2: True. Uh, they actually uh Cantar came up with a figure of six billion. Uh there's another one, Group M came out with ten billion.
0: That's what I was gonna say. It was somewhat true because they're I mean, it ranges six to ten billion is Mm -hmm. what is expected, which is a
2: fifty-nine percent increase over two thousand sixteen. It's crazy. Fifty-nine percent
0: increase. I saw something like four billion in. 2016. Yeah. So it's, right. I,
1: I wonder if they think, is that just the stakes of the election? Is that is that what we talked about earlier with more funds becoming available? I mean, I guess PACs are it getting bigger. It could
0: even be how many candidates there are. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good I mean, point. there's more places to spend money. Yeah, and you talked there about is. that
1: too, spreading mm-hmm. that money out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. It's going to be huge.
0: Okay, next one. On the air television will take up the largest chunk of the 2020 budget for political advertising.
2: Well let me get specific then for you i think it it is true but specifically it's local tv local tv is supposed to account for about 47% oh of God. all
0: you're really not making this you game literally, fun, <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I'm amazed. That's the exact percentage I've written great. down.
2: 47? Yes. These okay. are all from
0: Forbes, by the way. We will link that article yeah. in okay. the description. Great. Go ahead, though. You were talking yeah. about the specifics.
2: No, I think local TV is where it's at. You know, people are going to be spending more and more on local TV and lo- local TV properties. So uh, whether it's through uh, social channels or, you know, the the website of the social TV, but yeah, I think that's the key thing is candidates are—they recognize, as, as you look at the—they the, the front-loaded the primary system, at least on the Democratic side. So it, you've got a lot of states that used to be further into the year are now up on Super Tuesday, really early in the cycle. So—and we're talking big, big markets, California, Texas. They're going to be in the same day— when they used to be separate days and further after super tuesday so because they they could be on their own right and if you think of the media market well they got to connect with those audiences and we're seeing this with clients too cable tv yeah there's some reach for that but not like that local tv having that commercial speaking directly to you joe in iowa versus you anna in south
1: carolina
0: oh i moved
1: There you go. It'll be warmer down there, though. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But with hurricanes.
0: Um, (laughs) So just for people listening, by local TV, you mean like the ABC affiliate, the CBS affiliate. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. WHO here, you know, you're going to see people doing, you know, Dave Price, for example, does his own town hall meeting. When when, uh, Steve Bullock, who came in late to the Democratic race, um, did not make that first debate— and he hasn't made this next one either. Um, but he came in. What he do? Instead of having, uh, instead of sitting around doing nothing, he had his own town hall with the local TV station. Mm. So he actually had a town hall opportunity. Now, did anybody watch it at 4 in the afternoon? Maybe not that many. But the fact is he was doing what he could with the local affiliate to get his name out there as a Bible candidate. And I think everybody does that, you, Iowa Press or whatever. You're going to see a lot more of that.
0: Before I go to my next uh, statement and last statement, so if you could pretend to not know it, that okay. would be great. Um, where does streaming television, like I don't have cable um, because it's expensive. Um, yeah, I have Hulu and I don't pay to have no ads because A, I work in marketing and B, it's more expensive. So does that fall under a TV spend or a digital spend?
2: Well, I would see that more as a digital spend. Yeah. Um, you know, TV to me is truly just that. It's it's broadcast or, or cable on the major networks. Um, you know, I think you're, the problem with the cable angle is that you do have all those packs that have untold gobs of money that will just go out there on issue-oriented only, and you don't really know who they are. Um, I think, you know, truth in advertising is only taken us so far, truth in advertising, you know, it's only as good as they're willing to enforce it. FTC is is the controlling body there. And I mean, I see ads all the time where it's like, wait a second, they're only telling a snippet of the story. The truth is this. But I think again, that's, you know, so for the candidates, I think for candidates to be recognized and, and be heard, I think that they should pay attention to the local affiliates, yeah.
0: I have one more question before I go, because you're hitting on a lot of things that I find really interesting about politics. So obviously, we know that with the internet, um, there is a lot of opportunity for misinformation, Mm -hmm. or just telling a little bit of the story. How How, for people who are not as tuned into politics, what is something that they can do to make sure they're getting both sides of the story, or that the advertisements that they're seeing are truly telling them what is actually happening? Yeah,
2: good good question. I mean, you know, from my standpoint, I always like to look at multiple sources. So my, my standard read would be Politico. I do look at CNN, and I do read Washington Post. And then on occasion, I will look at something like um, the— um, um, Uh, American Standard, I think it is. Um, so I, I tend to—I try and find, like, sources that I think are going to spend time on the topic and really read it. I also—I like to read—if it's if it's, a, if it's a, an issue I truly care about, I'll read what the candidates say, but I'm always looking for the footnote of, okay, where is the, the source that they got that from? Because I read it, and I do this to people all the time. Did you also know if you would have read— halfway down that same paragraph, I do that to people all the time, where it's like, did you also see that it said this? Which contradicts, if you take this statement up here by itself, it's actually contradict down below. They're saying it as a, you know, people think this, but the truth is this. You know, you could go to Snoops and, and read up on on anything from Bigfoot to whatever it is that you want to have some perspective on, but I really do believe it's it's up to the consumer. It's up to the um, voter. They've got access to more information than ever in their lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. And every day it's multiplied by, like, I, I can't remember what the percentage, but I think it's like 50 or 500 times greater, right? Mm-hmm. So take the time to understand the issue. Um, really look at it uh, and, and, and try and get some perspective. I, I think when... When it's all said and done, you're only as ignorant as you want to be Um, because there's plenty of information about every person out there that's running. There's plenty of information about their voting record. You know, I think people just blindly accept some some of the politics that's coming out of people without challenging it or looking at their history. Are they qualified to say that? They claim this. Whenever I hear, whenever I hear a politician say something, I did this, I did that, whatever it is, I always go fact check it. Mm -hmm. Because I want to see like, did you do it? Or did you do it with somebody? And were you the driver of that? What was the outcome of it? Right? So I think those are the things. Now I go deeper into most of it than most other people do, because I just found myself so disappointed with the results. And I want to see people who really mean what they say. And I think that's our, our right as Americans. I think it's our right as, as citizens, period, American or otherwise, is to have access to the information and make an informed choice. We ask our clients to do it. We ask them to make a decision about an advertising buy based on the data. What does the data tell us is true? And if you're not going to do that for your vote, mm-hmm. then shame on you. I mean, that's pretty sad.
1: I mean, that's you're only as ignorant as you want to be. I feel like that's a that's a solid word to mm-hmm. live by in the 21st century here, which is very oh, true. I think we could go on and on. Yeah. Um, I I hope we get to check back in and see what's going on as we get further into the cycle. We got a little time ahead of us and mm-hmm. have to see what's going on in the further episode of ASAP. But I really appreciate you coming on, Dave, and taking time yeah. to yeah. hang out with us and and Anna and I. I think thoroughly enjoyed it. So, um, guys, thanks for listening so much. Uh, feel free to go and check out more at StrategicAmerica. ASAP. Um, if you're listening on Spotify or on iTunes, you can always lop, drop down a, a review there for us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And we will see you on the
0: episode next week. ASAP, a Strategic America podcast is produced inside the walls of Strategic America, a marketing agency located in West Des Moines, Iowa. Visit strategicamerica.com slash ASAP for more.